This is a story, Benjamin, that is obviously so much bigger than the game of baseball. Even though it is a tiny part of the great story of the game of baseball. But this story, as we treat it, this is a story about economic empowerment. This is a story about an unprecedented level of leadership. This is a, an amazing story that validates the importance of diversity and inclusion. And ultimately, it is the story of the social advancement of this great country. And it's all wrapped inside the game of baseball. What the Negro Leagues did is that they basically created the, as we call it, the shadow ball, the, the parallel universe until Mer America got its act together and could live out the true meaning of its creed, or at least begin to live out the true meaning of its creed in its national pastime. So you cannot downplay the significance of the Negro Leagues. They are not just there to provide, as they will, the future players uh, in the league, therefore spelling their own death. They are themselves a separate but athletically equal league. And that's what we need to celebrate this year in the centennial of that story. Hey everyone, Benjamin Block here, and welcome into another episode of Block's Corner. That intro, I know, was a bit longer than usual, but that's only because this episode is a bit different in that it won't be a conversation between me and a guest the way that you're used to. Instead, I'll be narrating an article that I've written for the National Baseball Hall of Fame's official magazine called Memories and Dreams. The article I wrote commemorates the 100th year anniversary of the founding of the Negro National League. It was an incredible opportunity to reflect on and remember the way things used to be in baseball and in our country in the 1920s. Helping me illustrate this unforgettable time in the order you heard them in the intro, they are Negro Leagues Baseball Museum's President Bob Kendrick, an award-winning filmmaker of the 1994 PBS documentary entitled Baseball, Ken Burns. The idea for this audio article is due in some part to the fact that only Hall of Fame members and subscribers to the magazine will see the article, but really, I wanted to bring this story to life for baseball fans everywhere to enjoy. So without further ado, here is my article. Equal but separate. The creation of the Negro National League 100 years ago provided African-American stars the opportunity to prove they could play. Since its earliest days, baseball has been a human enterprise. As a result, flaws have been woven into the game as apparent as the 108 crimson red stitches that bind the cowhide leather fashion ball used to play it. And yet, from those flaws, have often flowed ideas that have bettered the game. Few better examples of this exist than the creation of the Negro National League. Furthermore, rarely has something so ugly, segregation, aided in producing something so transformative. So as 2020 commemorates the 100-year anniversary of the founding of the Negro National League, it merits reminding that at that time in baseball, and inherently in our country, 
segregation was widely enforced, which only furthered already untenable discrimination against African Americans. I think African Americans have disproportionately dominated our culture because of the very fact that they had the peculiar experience of being unfree in a free land. The nature of Burns's point as it relates to the establishment of the Negro National League is heavily connected to two major events in our country's history. The landmark 1896 decision by the U.S. Supreme Court, known as Plessy versus Ferguson, legally conditioned American society to treat African Americans as quote-unquote separate but equal, which by doing so counteracted President Abraham Lincoln's abolishment of slavery 31 years earlier. Serving as a reflection of socialization in America, baseball was then, and will always be, a microcosm of our nation. Spurred by self-belief and contrasted by ignorance, the Negro National League was born on February 13, 1920, in Kansas City, Missouri. And according to the president of the Negro League's Baseball Museum, Bob Kendrick, the centennial stirs many emotions and memories, but celebration still wins out. The Negro League is not a victimization story, even though it is anchored against the backdrop of American segregation. It's about pride. It's about passion. It's about courage. It's about determination. It is about perseverance. And as oftentimes say, it is about the refusal to accept the notion that you're unfit to do anything. So I'll show you. As the story goes, Andrew Rube Foster formed the Negro National League following a meeting inside a YMCA located in the historic 18th and Vine district of Kansas City, which at the time was a cultural crossroad where baseball and jazz intersected. Foster, an outstanding pitcher in his youth, would earn election to the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 1981 for his efforts on and off the field to bring equality to the game. Nine years later, the Negro League's Baseball Museum was born in Kansas City in a one-room office. There were better business opportunities to build the museum elsewhere in Kansas City and even more detractors, as Kendrick recalled. But following the advice of the legendary John Jordan, Buck O'Neill, there was a conscious decision to establish the museum just steps away from the YMCA building where Foster made history for African Americans. One significant offshoot has been the resurrection of historic 18th and Vine, something Kendrick said he's tremendously proud of. You walk these streets coming into the Negro Lakes Museum, Man, you're walking the same streets that Satchel Page and Cool Papa Bell and Josh Gibson and all the other legendary stars in the Negro League walk those very same streets. Prompted by his thoughts about Foster and his legacy, the word genius flew out of Kendrick's mouth quicker than the bat speed of Gibson or a fastball by Page or the foot speed of Bell. We know that perhaps the greatest home run hitter of all times was Josh Gibson. We know that Satchel Paige probably won two or three times as many games as Cy Young, who is our leader in wins. We know that uh, Cool Papa Bell probably stole more bases than anybody else. Although Foster's manifestation of a separate but parallel baseball universe was thriving in the 1920s and into the 1930s, the closest African-American players would get to integrating Major League Baseball, 
until Jackie Robinson famously did so on April 15, 1947, was through barnstorming. This was a term for staged exhibition games between the segregated players and the two leagues. Ed Randall, formerly of the critically acclaimed television show Ed Randall's Talking Baseball, recalled how Major League Baseball's white stars of the 1940s, including Boston Red Sox slugger Ted Williams and Cleveland Indians hurler Bob Feller, would return from barnstorming in absolute awe of the talent of the Negro Leagues. In the same breath, Randall was reminded of the time when he interviewed O'Neill, the former Kansas City Monarchs first baseman. One of the questions that I asked him was, did you ever feel a sense of bitterness because of this arbitrary exclusion from the major leagues? He said, no. How do you know that our league wasn't better than theirs? O'Neill had a remarkable sense of humanity, especially considering that he and every other Negro Leagues player had every right to harbor resentment. It's also one of the many reasons why Burns revealed that he and O'Neill became close through the years and that O'Neill was, quote, like a father figure to him. People who were able to withstand the societal assaults of, of racism and discrimination and inequality, uh, lack of opportunity, that's an amazing thing. Following Robinson's righteous path, less than three months later was Larry Doby, the first African-American to play in the American League. Soon after Doby, Hank Thompson and Willard Brown went to the St. Louis Browns. Both struggled, but not before becoming the first African-American teammates in the starting lineup in Major League Baseball history. Not seeing the kind of dividends that Robinson and Doby delivered for the Brooklyn Dodgers and Cleveland Indians, respectively, the Browns essentially resegregated their roster until 1951 when they signed Page, who at that point was 45 years of age. There had been this ongoing desire to see how great black stars would fare if they got the opportunity to play in the Major League. Because no matter what they had done in building the Negro Leagues, the general consensus, right or wrong, was that the best baseball was being played in the Major Leagues. Was there a great loss when we lost the Negro Leagues? Absolutely. However, it's not lost on Kendrick that Foster's vision from the start in 1920 was to create a league so dynamic and competitive that Major League Baseball would be forced to expand, akin to the later AFL, NFL, and ABA-NBA mergers. While it didn't work out quite like those mergers, Negro League's players still managed to make history even if they didn't know that they were. They just wanted to play ball. But because they were so passionate about this game, they ultimately changed the game and changed our country for the better. Unfortunately, there's always a cost for progress. And 100 years ago, the Negro National League and its players paid such a dear price. However, out of it came a story of economic empowerment, social advancement, unprecedented leadership, and the importance of diversity and inclusion. When we look at the Negro National Lakes and their history, we're looking at a mirror that holds itself up to all of American society and says, we failed, and yet out of that failure came an extraordinary thing. Well, that concludes the audio version of this article, so thanks a lot for listening. If you did read it, I appreciate you reading it. 
I would definitely encourage you to subscribe to the National Baseball Hall of Fame. There's a lot of cool things that you can get as a subscriber. I also want to thank the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum's president, Bob Kendrick, Ken Burns, Ed Randall. All were great subjects, great to talk to, and were a huge influence and really a big contribution to this article, and I couldn't have done it without them. So as we celebrate another year's passing where Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in baseball and really did much more for the country than he did for just the game of baseball, I wish we would just remember that we have come a long way, but there's an awful long way still to go. So once again, thank you for listening. This, of course, has been Benjamin Block, and you've been listening to Block's Corner. Until next time.